Hi, my name is Beth, and I am the host of the Seeking Light podcast. In a world that presents us with growth and challenges, there is tremendous light. And this podcast is a source of light through scriptural insights that I have gained through the years. Come join me as I share light in a world that can sometimes be confusing. Okay, everybody, I am so glad you joined me today on my podcast. Um, As you all know, if you've listened to some of the other episodes, I was just in Arizona spending some time with Madeline, our oldest daughter. And right now she has the most amazing roommates. And the night before I left Arizona, I was able to sit with two of her roommates, Haley and Sammy, and they are just amazing women. And as I listened to Sammy's life story, I was like, Sammy, will you come on my podcast and tell about your life? It's amazing. And so she agreed to do it. And her life is just really, it's full of light. And um, she's an amazing person. And I don't want to give you too many things of information because it just got twists and turns and I'll throw out one to you as the audience at 19, she was adopted and it's a pretty incredible story. So we're going to start from the beginning. So Sammy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So I first want you to start with, um, to tell them, tell everybody how old you are right now. And then let's start. You go ahead. Sorry. I'm 29. (laughs) Okay. So Sammy's 29 and Let's start in when you were just a little girl, where did you grow up a little bit about your family and let's just start there and we'll just keep moving along with your life. Cause it's an amazing life and story. You got it. So I grew up in Chandler, Arizona. I'm the youngest of two, technically my birth parents and my biological sister. And I was raised the majority of my childhood by my grandma, who is from Chihuahua, Mexico. So a lot of my very young childhood memories are all in Mexico with my family. So how often did your grandma go down there? So we would go when I was really little. So before starting school, kindergarten, all that stuff, we would go for three or four months at a time, just her and I, and then we would come back. And then we'd go again for another three or four months. And then once I started school, um, I'd go every summer with her for the entire summer and live my best life down in Mexico. Did your parents, what was it that made it that your grandma, I mean, I know these answers, but I'm asking you this. <laughs> what made it so that your grandma was able to take you and be gone for so long with your parent with, from your parents? So my parents both worked full time and were busy with that. And so my grandma, when I was very young, would take me with her and we would go by bus to El Paso. And then from El Paso, we'd take another bus down to Mexico, um, just the two of us. And so I think probably they were just active in their own lives and doing their own thing that it was easiest to take me to my grandma's. And so it was natural for when she wanted to go home and visit her own family that I always went with her. Always went on when that went on that trip with her. Mm -hmm. So what was it about Chihuahua, Mexico that you loved? What you said it was your best life. It seriously, where my grandma grew up, it's the tiniest little town. I mean, like super rural, you have to take very specific routes to get there. 
um, to the point where this, there's like no sewage system. Like you have to put, you know, your toilet paper in the trash cans because it will not flush. And it was easy living, no cell phones, no distractions. We hardly had TVs. I remember only growing up with one movie, Stepmom, actually, with <laughs> Julia Roberts. That was the only English movie that they had in Mexico. And so for some reason, I have a vivid memory of that movie from when I was little watching that. But it was just, it was carefree. I learned how to drive at 10 years old down there. Um, and it was just the best. Wow. So how many relatives would you say your grandma had down there that you guys sure. stayed with? Yeah, so she had, so her mom was still alive. So my great grandma, <clears throat> she was down there. And then she had one sister and three brothers. So there's a whole ranch that they own down there. They basically are the town's everything. They're the bus port, the grocery store, the loncheria, which is kind of like a hamburger spot, but it's different types of meats and sandwiches. Um, they had pecans. They had a full ranch where they would raise horses and cattle and all the things for the town. So did you ever feel unsafe as a little girl? Never. Never. I always, it was seriously, we could walk to anybody's house, jump in anybody's car, um, enjoy our time with anybody in that town. And if you told them who you related to, they always wanted to give you a kiss on the cheek. <laughs> oh, did your sister, your biological sister ever go with you? She did go. She went, but she did not go as often as I did. And she's two and a half years older than me. And so, of course, there was a time period when she started school and I wasn't in school yet. So I went more often with my grandma. Okay. So when you started going to school, what were your weekends like? So growing up, um, my parents both worked. So as soon as we got home from school, obviously we were home with them. But on the weekends, I would beg to go to my grandma's because I was so used to being around her. Also, I, I affectionately call her mama. So if you speak Spanish, mama in English is mom. And so it just, it fits her so well. So when the weekends came, I'd ask to go to mama's house and I'd be there all weekend long until the last possible minute on Sunday, just to get all the time in with her. Did you have a religion as a child? So my grandma... In their town in Mexico, they actually practice Seventh-day Adventists. <clears throat> so really? their Sabbath day, yeah. So their Sabbath day is on Saturday. So you go to church on Saturday and you go out and you paint the town on Saturday night and everybody gathers in the center of the town and they walk around what's called La Plaza. They walk around this like armada thing and you just visit with everybody and have a good time, eat food. Um, and actually my grandma's brother-in-law was, I'm not quite sure if it's a pastor or a priest, like what he was, but he was in charge of the church down there. And so, um, she practiced it here in the States, but she didn't go, she didn't go, she couldn't drive. Um, she never got her license. And so she could only go places that she could walk or if somebody else is, uh, giving her a ride. So growing up, we didn't eat a lot of pork because that's something that they practice, but we would have bacon. <laughs> <laughs> Did you feel like a spiritual child? As far as um, having, like feeling like I had a guide almost, like yes, I, like yes. I totally, I actually remember <clears throat> when I was probably around the age of 
nine into teenagehood where I would talk like about Jesus. And I remember saying prayers over our meals for Easter and Thanksgiving. We were definitely like a holiday church going family. It was only for those special occasions. But I remember having a little bit more of a draw towards people that had um, spirituality or wanting to know like, oh yeah, there's a savior and his name is Jesus. Like he, he died for our sins. And that was kind of what I always went based off of. I don't really recall ever having like religious conversations with my biological parents or with my grandma. It was more of something that we just did. Okay. As you headed into middle school age, so you're 12 to 14, what was the relationship like with your grandma and then your parents? Like, what was that starting to look like as you were going through puberty and all these changes? Totally. My grandma actually passed away when I was 10, turning 11 in 2004. It was nine days before my 11th birthday. And so obviously, because she was such a huge part of my life, it rocked me. <clears throat> it So actually, let me back up just a tiny bit. Her husband is not my biological dad's dad. He, she had gotten remarried because his dad had passed away from sickness. Um, so the grandpa I knew growing up was technically my, my dad's stepdad. And people tell me all the time that as a child, I was the one that made him soft. Everybody else, he was pretty hard on. He was a roofer. And so he worked long days out in the sun. So he would come home, not in the best of moods. Um, but he always had a soft spot in his heart for me. So he actually passed away in February of 2004. And then mama passed away in September of 2004. So I was 10 turning 11 <clears throat> and it rocked me. I had a really hard time because that's who I knew as my mom. She taught me everything, taught me ABCs. I would paint her nails. She, you know, taught me a lot of life skills, how to treat people, how to always be kind to them, how to serve others. And so I struggled a lot. And my biological dad is, at least in my opinion, I believe he's an alcoholic or was. And it really took a toll on him as well. He's the youngest of her kids. And he was her favorite as I was her favorite. And so it was, it, it took a toll on both of us. And I think it also created you know, a little bit of a storm between him and I, just knowing that our favorite person had passed. Um, and it was difficult. It was difficult to move on and for my mom to deal with my dad and I and to have another sister who also loved her as much as we did and not really feeling like she understood because she didn't have the same experiences I did have growing up around her. Um, and I think he got deeper into alcoholism and took it out a lot on us. And I don't think he meant to but it, 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 he did. Right. What did your grandma die of? She died of ovarian cancer. So she was out in Iowa with an uncle going to a wedding and she had been complaining about a pain in her stomach. And if you know any Mexican grandma, they will find any cure on their own to try to fix themselves before they'll ever go to the doctor and so she came home from that wedding instead of going with them. And she tried to do some remedies and it didn't obviously take because it was more severe than she had anticipated. And she had a tumor in her stomach 
but I didn't know that as a kid, I just thought she had like a bump. I didn't really understand what was going on, but she had ovarian cancer. Wow. So having your grandma or your mama pass away and then your dad struggling because of the loss of his mother who he loved and he having his own demons, right? Yeah. What did that do for you as a young teenager? So it definitely, it was one of those things where he has his vices and he's going to do with them what he will. He's an adult, he's in control of himself. But as a kid, you don't realize that. And you just assume that it's going to be taken out on you. And sometimes it was, and sometimes it wasn't. And um, I just remember when she got sick, knowing the reality of what was going on, that it kind of hit me like, all right, Sam, like it's time to really buck up and try to try to keep moving forward and moving on the way that mama would have you and to kind of take care of yourself and be that independent self-reliance um, woman that she would be proud of. And it was tricky because he was going through his own things. And when you need your parents at that raw age, it was almost like we didn't get the closure of the nurturing and emotional factor from our parents. How on earth did you have that kind of a mindset at such a young age? Like, I, there really, was, I can't think of a, a youth like that, that would, 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 that would process it that way. Like I obviously had my own emotional struggles. And of course I say this in my adult mind, trying to remember my own mindset back then, but we were raised to be very independent women. Um, my dad was very good about teaching us how to take care of our own things. For example, learning how to drive a stick shift car at 10 years old or changing our own oil or helping with lawn work. And they were very good about teaching us all the things. And so when it came to the emotional side of stuff, it was kind of the same. Like you kind of fig you figure it out. You got to deal with it on your own. You have to process by yourself. You have your own way of grieving. For example, mine was to get lost for lack of better terms in sports and in school and having good teachers and having good friends to where I feel like my older sisters was to have bad friends, make not very good choices, have problems with alcohol and drugs and whatever. And it was just an opposite reaction to what we were both going through. Right. So share a little bit about you. I know you start working at a young age. Um, you're very, very responsible. Like I would say you're one of the most responsible. <laughs> you are, you're amazing. Sometimes so, I wonder. <laughs> no. So you start working you at this time in your life, where are you at spiritually speaking? So <clears throat> after my grandma passed, I don't really know if I had um, a spiritual encounter or like anything that was profound. I remember for a long time, um, having dreams about her and then feeling like they were real. Um, at this point though, we had moved. So again, in 2004, we had moved from our Chandler home to our Gilbert home. And in Gilbert, there was a lot of, uh, Latter-day Saints 
especially youth were that were in the schools that I was at. So a lot of the friends that I gravitated toward towards those or, sorry, a lot of the friends that I had gravitated in that time were LDS kids. And I didn't know what a Mormon was. I didn't know what Latter-day Saint meant. I just knew they had something that I love to be around. It made me feel good to be around them. Their families always treated me with respect and kindness. Um, and so it was easy to go towards the light, <laughs> essentially. Um, Did you do that through primarily sports like softball? and? It was mostly through school. When I got older, there were definitely more LDS kids that were involved in my sports and in student council. Um, with a little more freedom as far as being able to drive and actually being able to go to their home. Because when we were young, it was like you play outside, you don't necessarily go into anybody's home. So you don't really know what their dynamics are like. But I started working at the age of 16 as soon as I could. And I worked at a frozen yogurt store that was owned by a good family friend. Um, and half the kids there were LDS and they were awesome. Like I had the time of my life being around them. So uh, there was a lot of independence that I was searching for as far as being able to buy things on my own, go to people's houses that I wanted to go to and be around other families besides mine in a nice way. <laughs> Did any of those friends or parents of those friends ever say, Hey, Sammy, do you want to come to our activity or do you want to come participate in our church? Anything mm -hmm. like that? Yeah, so I had a best friend my freshman year. Her name's Chelsea, and I still talk to her and love her so much to this day. Um, Chelsea had invited me to Mutual, and I didn't know what Mutual was, but I was like, yeah, sure, I'd go. And so I went, <clears throat> and it was an activity where they brought things about them, and we were in a church building, and it was great. I had gone home that night and had explained to my parents that that is what we did, that we went to a church building, and they were not happy about it. They, I had asked if I could go to church on Sundays with Chelsea and her family, and they said, nope, you can't go. It's a cult. And that was difficult to hear, but I also was a teenager, and I didn't know what their purpose was on why they wouldn't allow me, because I thought anybody that goes to church is a good person. Um, but I have to, they were probably trying to make the best parental decision they could, or at least what they knew, knew how to, I guess, as far as that goes. Did Chelsea ever ask you, did you ever say to her, yeah, my parents said that they think you're a cult. I can't go with you anymore. Or did you ever have that conversation? I think I did. I think I did tell her that I wasn't allowed to go, but I don't necessarily remember telling her that they thought it was a cult. I do know that when I got older, I eventually had the discussion with her. Uh, and I think it was actually after I got baptized that I told her that I struggled with that piece, but I didn't understand why. Okay, 16, you're working at a yogurt shop, a lot of uh, Gilbert LDS kids. What happens as you're getting nearing graduation of high school? Um, as I was getting to the end of high school, so between my junior and senior year, um, growing up, teachers were always my safe haven. They were always my place of refuge. They always saw to my needs, cared about me, made sure that I was taken care of. Uh, at all costs. And I made sure that I repaid it as far as being a good student, or at least being a funny one. <laughs> and so, um, uh, my junior into my senior year, I actually had moved out into a teacher's home to try to distance myself from, uh, you know, my 
life at home with my parents and what they were going through and what my older sister was going through. She, right after I graduated, she had gotten pregnant with a guy who has four, four babies with four other baby daddies. And so it was tricky to be around that, especially when internally my moral compass did not fit with those uh, choices and that agenda. I had moved into the teacher's home between my junior and senior year and it was great, but I eventually moved back home with my parents um, and wrote it out till my senior year. And during this whole entire process, I had really great friends, really great teachers, really great families that took me in and allowed me to be a part of their uh, family activities and is, have some normalcy. Is that where the Metcalfs came in? So yes, my my mom now, Nikki Metcalf, <laughs> she was one of my customers from the time I started working at the yogurt shop. And she would come in and she would visit with me and she was very friendly and awesome. And I noticed at some point that when she would come in, she would be dressed in Sunday clothes on the weeknights or Saturdays. And I was like, are you Mormon by chance? And she's like, yeah, I am. And I was like, oh, I had no idea. You just are so much like, I I don't know how to explain it. Not so uptight, I guess was my thought process at the time. She was like very, very friendly and funny and would crack jokes. And so it was easy for me to connect to her um, because she was very receptive and I could ask her any question that had to do with the church or do with her life. And she would always sit and visit with me. Um, And so eventually she saw, I think for herself and had like a spiritual moment and just was like, I really need to take dinner to that girl that works at yoga jungle. And so she brought me dinner every once in a while, which was very kind. And I asked what her kids were into. Some of the girls played softball and I was like, Oh, I play softball. Like I'd love to come watch their games. So I eventually started going to games with them and just being involved in like their basic family activities. And then she eventually started inviting me to FHE. And at this point I was 18 and can choose what I want. And so I would go to their house to go have FHE with them. And I just remember thinking to myself, this is the family unit that I have craved and wanted all my life. And I eventually started going to church with them. And at some point, my mom, Nikki Metcalf, actually said, you know, Sam, I had a prompting that I needed to tell you and offer you that we have an extra room in our home. We are more than happy. And I've already talked to Brett, which is my dad. Um, about it and we want to welcome you into our home if you want to no pressure just know that it's there and And I had living were you living at home at this time your your biological parents house I was I was living at home at this time and I actually got Chelsea my best friend from high school she gave me a book of Mormon it was the first book of Mormon I ever received and she gave it to me for my 18th birthday and I remember her putting a note inside of it and it basically said Sam, this is for you. I love you. I love this church. Um, I'm grateful for our friendship. Pray about it for yourself to see, like just read a few scriptures, see how it makes you feel, pray about things for yourself. And I didn't really think anything of it, but at the time that my mom had asked me if I wanted to move into their home, I thought to myself, 
I'm in this rut. I hate being in the home that I'm in. I feel down and out. I don't feel happy. There's no spirituality. There's like a sense of toxicity. And so I remember getting on my knees and praying one night and asking Heavenly Father, like, please, please give me a direction of what I'm supposed to do, what I'm supposed to choose. And that's when my mom had asked if I wanted to move into their home. So it was like a huge, like, if that's not a beam of light to tell you what to do, then I don't know what is. So you move in with them. You're 18 years old. Yep. And do you decide to start reading the Book of Mormon? So we had been reading the Book of Mormon for FAT. And when I moved in, my mom was very gracious as far as, hey, this is what we do. We wake up in the morning, we read our scriptures, and then everybody parts their way. You're more than welcome to join. Do not feel obligated. But for respect for them, I would wake up and read scriptures with them every morning. And that was just how we went about our day. Um, so this was when I was 18, turning 19. And in 2013, I had been prompted by the gospel principles teacher if I was ready to be baptized. <laughs> and, and I was like, yeah, I think so. <laughs> and I remember telling my mom, I was like, I don't know everything about the church though. Like, I feel like I need to know more. I feel like I should know every scripture. I feel like I should um, have every, what is it called? What's the, what's uh, the, the, they used to call them Charlas or um, are you talking about no. the discussions? No, 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 no. Yeah. No, I know. I took the discussions. No, like all of the, okay. Okay. I got it. I felt like I needed to know all the 12 commandments by heart. I needed to know all the articles of faith. I needed to know, like, I felt so, I was like, am I actually ready? I need to know all the things. And my mom sat me down and she said, Sam, you're never going to know all the things that there has to do with the gospel. It is so complex and a forever learning journey. You're going to learn something new every day about it and about your uh, spirituality and all those things. And I was like, you know what? I think you're right. Okay, I can press forward. And so I started taking the discussions from the missionaries and they called they called it when I was getting baptized, they called me one of, I think it's called golden something gold. Like I was a golden, a golden investigator. There you go. I was a golden investigator. Cause they're like, man, you just, you just feel, you seem like you've known this all of your life. And I was like, well, I feel like I have, like, there were things that they would say, like, can you pay 10% tithing? I was like, yeah. And they're like, really? And I'm like, yeah. If you guys are telling me that that's a part of the church and what we're supposed to do, then why would I not just do it? they're like, oh, people give us a hard time about that sometimes. I'm like, no, I'm I'm in for the long haul. So I got baptized in September of 2013. Who joined you for all those discussions? Was it Nikki? Was it, who was it? It was Nikki. Yeah, it was my parents, Nikki and Brett. And then I'm sure my siblings were there a handful of times. So Nikki and Brett have five kids, four girls, one boy. And so they were a part of a lot of our discussions and having the missionaries over for dinner and just hanging out with us. Wow. When you got baptized, did you go tell your biological parents that that was what you were going to do? I did not. When I moved out of their house officially into the Metcalfs, I let them know tearfully that that was the choice I was making because I needed something different. 
and they didn't understand why I was moving into another family's home, which is understandable. Um, but I knew what I needed and I knew I needed that family connect and I didn't talk to them and they didn't talk to me once in my entire time of being moved out. With the Metcalfs. With the Metcalfs. Okay. So you're 19 baptized. 19. Yep. Baptized. And let's now talk a little bit about how the adoption came about with the Metcalfs. So after I was baptized, um, I got called to activity days with my mom and I had always called her mama Metcalf from the jump. We always had that little bit of a connect. There was a lot of tender mercies that she discussed with me that just seemed so right in that it was meant to be, and I was always supposed to fit in with them. Um, and when we were activity days, I would call her mom in front of the girls and they were, they would question and say, well, why are you sister Metcalf and your sister Menchaca? This doesn't make sense if she's your mom. And I looked at my mom, like, I, I kind of get their logic. It is kind of funny that I call you mom and we have different last names. And so she, my mom, she was like, I'm going to just look it up. Let's just see if somehow, some way. And sure enough, you can do adult adoptions in Arizona. And so my mom contacted a lawyer and it, it all pressed forward pretty smoothly because at the age of 18, you can make your own choices. It's in place for people that have step parents that they want to take on their last name um, for legal reasons and all of that. And so I was legally adopted in 2014 as a 20-year-old to my parents. Okay. What's that like <laughs> to be adopted at 20 yeah, years old? <laughs> it is kind of funny to think about it, but it just had fit so much like a glove that it felt like it was always meant to be. And it really is not that big of a deal. You go into the courthouse, you see the judge and they say, okay, your adoption's finalized. Like there was no, it was a great day. We celebrated as a family, but it was not, there was no crazy hype around it. <laughs> okay. So I know, I know you're past the age of having to explain anything, but was there any part of you that was like, look, I need to tell my parents, this is the choice I've made my biological parents. And, and if so, how did anything go about with that? Yeah. So I actually wasn't going to tell them anything, but because legally their rights would be taken um, from anything. If anything were to happen to me, obviously they would have the right to make the choice about, you know, financial things. If a death were to be health. Yeah, uh, yeah exactly. And so they had to be notified. And I didn't understand that as a 19 year old naive. And my mom actually said, you know, you owe it to them to call them and talk to them about it and just let them know that they will be given these papers and what they mean and what they're for. And she actually, when I was moving, I forgot about this part. This is actually funny that it's getting brought up right now. When I moved into their home, Nikki Metcalf actually sat down with my biological mom. She asked if she could meet her and they sat down and Nikki told my bio mom, hey, I'm not here to, to get in the middle of any of your family things. I'm not here to take your child away from you. I'm here to help Sam. Sam has made it clear that she wants to be around us and I'm not going to deny her what she wants. And um my bio mom basically was like, okay, like if you want to take it on, go right ahead as far as I know. And so 
I called my bio dad and let him know about the adoption. And I was tearful. Like, obviously there's a lot of history and a lot of things that connect us, obviously. Um, but I knew the choice that I was making was the right one. And I let him know it was happening and I didn't hear from them for a long time. And then they showed up on the day of the adoption to the court. They did. They did. What, what, what was the, did they just want to be there for you or what was I, the reasoning? They actually went there to try to get the adoption denied. Um, which was funny for me because I was like, where have you been for the last however many months? And now all of a sudden you're, you want to come in and have something to say, but I know that they were going through a lot of emotions on their own end. And I'm sure it was like a last ditch effort of, Hey, we care about you, even though our lives don't align with the way that you see fit. Um, But the judge said, listen, she's an adult, unless there's some reason that there's illegal activity as far as like money laundering reasons, can we deny this? So unfortunately, this is going to get pushed through anyways. So it went through and they walked out of the courthouse and I hadn't seen them in forever, like ever. Like I never saw them, never talked to them, never heard from them. After, until the accident. Until the accident. Okay, we'll get, we'll get there. (laughs) Okay, so let's talk about the ceiling that you have to Nikki and Brett. So I was adopted in June of 2014 at 20 years old. Um, And the reason for the adoption more than anything was to one, have the same last name. So stuff wouldn't get questioned as far as like my tie to the Metcalfs and two, it was to get sealed to them as a family. And so sure enough, you can get sealed to your family as a child, which is known in our church that you can do that. Um, But it gets cut off at the age of 21. Once you hit 21, you can no longer be sealed to your family. Even if it's like your parents got married later in life and decided to get sealed in the temple, they usually sell the kids to the parents. If you're over the age of 21, they won't allow you into the sealing room for all of that. Um, So we were sealed as a family in August of 2014, and I was turning 21 in September of 2014. So there was a huge tender mercy of the way that it all went down and the timing and how perfect it was for me to have them as an eternal family. Wow. And you, they, they've got their five kids. So you're sealed and now they have six. Yep. And all five siblings were able to come into the ceiling room and partake of, uh, that entire ceremony. It was actually really cool. What was that day like for you? Well, a little bit of me was nervous because I didn't know what to expect. I had been into the temple to do baptisms, but I knew it was going to be a whole other factor of going up into the ceiling room. Um, And as an adult, you remember everything. Usually it's little kids that go in there and they just think that they're in a fun building that's nice and white. And we went into the family center, me and my other five siblings, while my parents went into another room. And there was videos that explained, you know, like what was going to happen, what was going to go on. And I'm understanding all of it because I'm 20 years old, knowing exactly what's going on. Um, And so when we came out, we saw our parents and it was awesome. And to see our village of people that came to the ceiling room, I think there was easily 70 people there on our behalf to see this thing go down. It was awesome. Awesome. Okay. So 
you get sealed. You now have an eternal family. Let's talk about the years following that. Like, what did your life, what kind of turns and twists and did your life take in regards to where you live, your career, just all those things? So after being sealed, obviously, well, I was already, I felt like I was already living the life that I was setting up for because I had been with the Metcast for so long before all that took place. Um, but it definitely solidified our relationship with each other. And obviously it was like one less thing to have to explain to new people that met our family and all the things. Um, but life was awesome. I mean, we, we, we play hard, we work hard. It's fun, but obviously there's a lot of kids. <laughs> You're going to have your moments <laughs> with each other, especially going from being the youngest of two to being the oldest of six. Thanks. It was a really big uh, shift in dynamic. And I tried with as much grace, obviously, as a young 21-year-old at this point. Um, I tried really hard to still allow the rest of my younger siblings to have their parts. So Bailey, who's the next oldest, she was the oldest all of her life. And then all of a sudden in comes in some 19 year old girl that's about to supersede her oldest child duties. And so I made sure that I still allowed Bailey at least as best as I could to take care of older siblings responsibility when it came to telling the kids what to do, help mom and dad. But uh, selfishly, I will say a little piece of me was because I didn't want any of my younger siblings to have beef with me. I'd rather them have had it with her. <laughs> so I let her take that part still. And how old was the youngest at the time? Tatum was, I think she was six. At that time? Yeah, because she was born in 2008 and it was 2014. So I, she was six. Six. So how long did you end up staying at the house before you moved out on your own? I didn't move out of my family's house until I was 26, 25 or 26. It was 2018. I can't remember. A lot has happened in the last <laughs> little bit. I was older. I was older. I had adult siblings at home still. I actually moved out with one of my siblings and two of our really good family friends um, into a family that we love's rental home. And it was awesome. It was a great choice as far as just being an adult and feeling like there has been so much fulfillment as far as family life and a dynamic that I had always wanted. And it definitely hit a point where I'm like, okay, thank you for filling my needs. And now I'm ready to move on to the next phase of life. Let's talk about your testimony a little bit. Okay. <laughs> Where <laughs> were you in YSA wards? What were you, what, how were you growing spiritually as the time was passing on? I actually stayed for the majority of my spiritual journey after being baptized in a family ward. I felt the most, I loved the people that we were in a ward with in any ward that we got split into. I also especially loved working with the youth, which is why I love to stay in a family ward. But it did hit a point where I was like, okay, I should probably go to singles ward. And I tried to go to singles ward activities. Obviously, there was 
boys that I dated that we would go to singles ward or um, go to singles activities with other people. And it was fun. I definitely feel like I fit better in a family ward, but I also think it was because I was looking for that connection as far as families went. Uh, that's where I felt more comfortable. Mm -hmm. Did you, during that time, those five to seven years, did you have any contact with your biological parents? No, actually. Yes. Once okay. I did. Um, I'm not quite sure as far as timeline, how long after being adopted, it was, it had to have been at least a year, if not a few. Um, my grandma, mama, one of her sisters, actually two of her sisters were in town from Mexico and my bio mom had reached out and said, Hey, if you want to come see them, they're here in Arizona and I wouldn't miss the opportunity to see them. So I went over to their home and visited with them and it was great. It was very, um, low key. They were very receptive, but it was that one night of interaction and that was it. That was it. Okay, Sam, let's fast forward to your guys's accident. Yeah. Because you know what? I mean, they, they'll hear the end of the story, but it's kind of like a full circle to me of your life. I mean, you can tell, I want you to tell the story about the accident, but hearing how everything came together was a very huge, tender mercy. Absolutely. So, can you start like kind of share a little bit about your family's traditions and what you guys were doing and stuff like that? Yeah, for sure. Um, one thing that really bonds the Metcalfs is they are massive campers. They love to be out in the wilderness and just unplug from life and spend time with each other. And that is honestly where most of my core memories with them come from is us camping up in the pines and us going out riding dirt bikes, quads, all the things out in the desert and just having some good old fashioned fun. Um, so this particular camping trip, my dad is a police officer and we were going with some people that he works with. Um, and it's always a good time, but this trip, it was only me and the youngest sibling Tatum, who at the time was 14, 15. She's 15. She's 15. She's 15. <laughs> Is Haley in the room? <laughs> Haley, I love you. <laughs> oh, that's um, awesome. Okay, that's great. So uh, it was me, my youngest sibling, Tatum, who's 15, and Haley, my BFF slash roommate slash coworker. Yes. She came with us. All the things. She came with us on this trip, and we were up in Arizona, it's called Happy Jack area um, to get out of the heat because, you know, Arizona's hot at all times. Um, so we went up north to be with my dad's coworkers and we we're having the time of our lives. We were supposed to be leaving the next day uh, and it was Sunday night, September 4th. I'll never forget the day. We had been riding all day long, dirt bikes, quads, razors, having the time of our lives. We had come in. I'm assuming you just want me to keep going with the story. I yeah. totally do. It, and this was, was this last fall. Yeah, like just six yeah, months. Yeah, 2022, ago six months ago. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Okay. I was just yep. writing down. Yep. The dates. So yep. we had come in from riding, 
that day sun was starting to go down and starting to get to that point in the time of the night where you kind of calm down, sit by a fire, you know, relax a little. And for some reason that night, I don't ever take showers when we're camping. I usually just do a clean what you can, you know what I mean? Yep. And that night I said, mom, I'm going to hop in the shower fast. I just feel really dusty, really dirty, just from being out all day long. Are you okay with that? She's like, yeah, absolutely hop in. And again, Arizona is warm, even up North during the day when the sun is out, it's warm outside. So I was wearing uh, jerseys and riding pants and short sleeve shirts and all the things. Um, and for some reason that night, after I took the shower, I was like, you know what, I'm going to put on a long sleeve shirt and some pants, some sweatpants. And my mom had also had leggings on and like a t-shirt. And she was like, I don't want to take my leggings off. I'm just going to put sweatpants over my leggings. And then she put a long sleeve shirt and a flannel on top of the shirt that she already had on. And I know it doesn't seem very profound, but it was obviously given the circumstances that came after um, us getting dressed for the evening. So we all sat down by the fire that was going and there was one fire that was going and that was your typical wood campfire, smoke, soot, all that stuff. Um, and we we're sitting in a big circle. There was like probably 20 people camping and Haley was on one end of the circle. I was the next one in and my mom was sitting next to me, my dad, and then the rest of everybody else in like a moon shaped circle. There was a pop-up in between the two open ends. Um, and we were all just really hanging out, talking, enjoying our time. Well, while we were there, another family that was uh, related to somebody else that was camping with us, they have this thing called a smudge pot. And what smudge pots are for, they're meant to be put in tree orchards to keep trees warm, or they get used out at like the dunes a lot, Glamis. Um, because you can't have open flame, like open wood fire, I don't think. And so they had one and the thing was amazing. It's like a huge pot with a big metal exhaust. It has to be at least six feet tall. And it kind of looks like a cheese grater on parts of it so that heat can emit out of it and keep you warm. Well, we were using that for the nights prior. And in this particular night, um, it uses motor oil or diesel, at least to my knowledge. And we were using gasoline in it which you can use, but there's definitely regulations and things that you need to do if you use gas. Well, this particular night, it started running out of uh, oil because it was starting to not burn as much. It started to get a little cold. And that's what we we're using as our main like campfire. And so one of the guys there said, I'll just refuel it. I'll add more fuel. It'll keep us warm for another little while longer. And so um, he started to refuel the smudge pot and immediately the gas started to bubble and create smoke and the smoke was directing itself towards my mom and I. So she's sitting to my right hand side, I'm to her left and she had put her flannel over her face because she was like, oh man, the smoke is, you know, too much. So she had put her flannel over her face to not really like breathe it in or see it. And I had just told Haley, who's to the left of me, we should probably move. Like, this smoke is too much. And I wasn't thinking twice that it was vaporous smoke. I just thought it was, you know, you think it's campfire smoke. 
But in reality, it was vaporous fumes from the gasoline burning so fast. Um, as the guy that was refueling it was pouring it, I swear I saw it get over poured and a trickle of flame came on the outside of the smudge pot. The other theory was that the, the low burning fire to the left of the smudge pot, maybe a ash came out of the fire pit and, or like a piece of something. Oops, what am I thinking of? An ember might've hit the smoke cloud mm -hmm. and the smoke was rolling over my mom and I. And as soon as either the fire hit it or the ember hit it, it was like a flash of flames. By the time I realized what was going on, the fire was already at my toes. Um, Haley and I both equally got up, put our hands on our face and dumped off behind and to the left of us. And I was rolling on the ground because I legitimately thought I was on fire. And my mom was in a hammock chair to the right of me. And as she was in the chair, she didn't see the flame coming, but she eventually felt it, eventually realized what was going on. And the hammock chair, she didn't have traction underneath her feet to kick herself out of it or backwards or anything. And so she kind of got stuck in the fire a little bit longer. And it was like a wave of fire. As fast as it was there was as fast as it was gone. Um, and my mom was rolling on the ground thinking that she was still on fire and I could hear her uh, crying and weeping and wailing. And I was off to the left. I felt stuff on my hands. I knew my hands were not normal. And Haley was a little bit further than I. And she had turned and looked at me and asked if I was okay. And I just remember kind of being frozen and kind of going, yeah, I'm fine. Like, I know I'm fine but something's not right. And I had been holding a soda pop can in my hand. And when the flame hit me, it had already burned a hole in my hand. And so I knew for a fact I was injured of some sort. Um, obviously hearing my mom crying, I knew something wasn't right with her. And so I got up off the ground, Haley got up off the ground, Haley was checking on me my dad and everybody else was attending to my mom because it was a more obvious injury. Um, it actually burned through one layer of her pants and her leggings were burned to her legs. Uh, she had cinched hair. I mean, the whole nine. And everybody was attending to my mom because she obviously was super hurt. And Haley was helping me. Another boy was helping me. And I just asked if they would pour water on my hands. Like, just pour it slowly. I know I'm hurt. And I had eyelash extensions on. And I could see at the end of my eyes, I could see little black plastic melted. And so I knew it got me, but I didn't realize the extent. So, um somebody that was camping with us walked up to me to try to see if I was okay. And she said, are you okay? Like, are you okay, Sam? Is everything good? I'm like, I think I'm okay, but I think I need to go with them. At this point, they had already um, pulled a truck up to put my mom in the truck and take her to the nearest hospital. They knew her injuries were so far gone. There was no cell service. There was no anything because Bless my dad's heart. He wants to be in the most remote part <laughs> camping so that we can really enjoy our time by ourselves. And there was no chance of calling an ambulance or anything. So they pulled a the truck up. They were trying to load my mom in. 
And in that moment, of course, there was a piece of me that's like, oh, I need to go with my mom. But there was also a piece of me that was like, I think I need to go. And this gal, she looked at me and just the look on her eyes when she saw when when she saw me, I knew something else was wrong. And she said, yep, you need to go. So I got into the truck with my mom. And I mean, from the time that the fire started to the time that we were in the truck off the road was five minutes. It felt like a lifetime. It felt like we were standing there for 30 minutes trying to figure out what was going on when it was really a split second. So we get in the truck, we have to drive 45 minutes to the nearest hospital. Uh, we get up there or we get there and my poor mom is just beside herself. And I'm trying to stay strong for her as you know, my dad's in the truck with us. The another guy was driving the truck and Haley stayed back with Tatum, my youngest sibling, to take care of her and make sure everything was okay as far as the camp was going. So we get to the hospital. I walk in, my dad walks in behind me. They ask him what he needs. And he said, my wife was burned really bad. I need you guys to come get her and put her in a wheelchair and bring her in. How far would you say the drive was for you guys from the campfire to the hospital? From the campfire to the hospital, it was probably a good 35, 45 minute drive. It felt like a lifetime. I felt like it was taking us forever to get off the dirt road and get down the hill to get to the hospital. And there was so much traffic on the road. For some reason that night, there was a handful of traffic. It took us a while to get to the hospital. During that drive, were you noticing changes in your body? Were you looking at your hands and starting to feel your face and realizing something much worse had happened? Yeah. Some of the boys that were camping with us gave us water bottles that were frozen. So there was ice inside of them and they gave us towels. And I remember wrapping the towel around the frozen water bottle and patting it on my face because I knew my face had something on it, but I couldn't tell. I hadn't looked at myself. I didn't know what was going on, um, but I was tossing the towel between my hands. There was no relief of the pain. It was definitely try to not think about it and just get to the hospital as fast as possible. So they get your mom, your dad says you need to get a wheelchair, get her inside there. And what happens after that? So we both, I, I was standing there talking to the front receptionist saying, I need some assistance. And she was trying to ask me, poor gal. I was probably not very nice in that moment, but she was like trying to ask me for my license. She was trying to ask me my date of birth, all these things. And I was like, I am, I'm, I'm burned. And I'm like trying to answer her. And I'm like, yep, my birthday is September 30th. And like telling her all these things. And nurses came out to get my mom. And as one came out, she said, I need to take you back too. And so she grabs me. Um, they put us kind of in rooms next to each other. I'm laying in one side. My dad's attending to my mom with the nurses on the other side. And they're asking us questions, all the things. And I thought I was fine for the most part, except for the obvious injury on my hands. But after they attended to my mom, we knew she needed to needed immediate attention. They came into my room and they said, hey, we're going to send you by ambulance down the mountain into the valley of Arizona. Um, 
but your mom needs to go by helicopter. She has some pretty severe injury. We need to just send her by helicopter to get her there fast as possible. Well, as the time kind of went on, they realized how much I was actually burned as well. I had already had pop blisters all on my neck. My hands were starting to swell a lot. Um, my whole face basically looked like I had a really terrible sunburn. And my dad had come into my room to check on me. And I said, dad, I'm fine. Like, I, I'm totally fine. Is mom okay? What's going on? Um, he's like, yep, they're going to take her by helicopter. Everything's going to be okay. It's like, sweet. Uh, <laughs> selfishly, for financial reasons, when they came in to tell me that they're going to take me by ambulance, I asked, can my dad just take me? <laughs> because I did. I, I was like, I'm, I think I'm okay. He can just take me. Um, they obviously had administered pain meds to kind of take us off the edge. Um, and they eventually came to my side of the room and they said, you know what, you need to go by helicopter too. And I was like, oh, this is kind of serious. Um, there was a gal that was helping my mom and she was, I mean, when I tell you my mom was distraught, she was distraught. And the gals that were over there helping her get her ready to go by helicopter to the burn unit here in Arizona. Um, she came to my side of the room and she said, who is that in the other room? I said, that's my mom. And she said, are you guys LDS? And I said, yes, because my mom had had her garments on. Um, she said, are you guys LDS? I said, yes, we are. And she said, I just want to let you know that I said a prayer over you guys in hopes that everything will be okay. And it was such a tender mercy to have her there in that moment to be able to have a connection that was, you know, my mom has always been my spiritual connect and she's down and out in the next room next to me. And so it was, it was hard, but it was good. I'm grateful. My dad was taking care of my mom. He knew that I was okay enough to be on my own for that moment. Well, Sam, they fly you down to the burn unit and at a big hospital in Arizona. Yeah, it's uh, they. It was a helicopter ride, and I mean, the helicopter ride was probably thirty minutes. It felt like two hours. The pressure up that high of swelling hands and swelling face was unbearable. And I asked because I had to put a little bit of humor into what was going on. Otherwise, you cry. As they were loading me into the helicopter, I said, "Is this going to be the best Disneyland ride of my life?" <laughs> And they said, yep, it's going to be just like Space Mountain. I said, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Did they not give you enough drugs to knock you out so you weren't suffering? No, I, I think my mom actually might have passed out a little bit in some of her uh, pain meds. But I remember everything. I didn't. I remember asking for a little bit more pain meds when we were up in the sky just because of the pressure. But I we, I felt every, I felt everything. And I want my audience to know that when I was with Sam and Haley and Madeline, she showed me the pictures of her mother and her, and it was very, very bad. <laughs> I mean, I can't believe you look so beautiful right now because, <laughs> because you just, it was, that was so, that was, that was scary. That was very scary. Oh yeah. So we get to the, we get to the ICU in South Valley burn unit, which is apparently not obviously not to my knowledge then, but now it's the number one burn unit in the nation. 
So we couldn't have ended up at a better hospital than that one. So they helicopter us in, we go straight down to the ICU. And my mom had gotten there obviously like 30 minutes before I had. And they put us in a room with each other, but there's a curtain between us. And my dad had already contacted the rest of my siblings and our family about what had happened. And so there was a handful of them at the hospital already waiting for us when we had gotten there. Um, And when I got wheeled in, my grandma, my aunt and her friend were sitting in the lobby. And when I came in, I remember one of them, not quite sure which one said, is that Sam? And I didn't realize that I was that injured until that moment, realizing, oh man, like they can't recognize that it's me, must be pretty bad. So they pull me into the room and I can hear my mom next to me and bless her heart. I'm sure she doesn't like that I say this, but that poor girl was going through it. Like I could tell it was hurting her so bad And I was trying to keep my cool on my behalf and on her behalf. So um, before they did anything, before they gave us any more drugs or uh, try to take care of the burns, my grandpa had actually slipped into the room um, and he came in and he asked if he could give me a blessing. I said, absolutely. Him and my brother-in-law, Cody, they both gave my mom and I a blessing before they proceeded with anything. And they had to leave the room and then they started taking care of the burns. Well, they took care of my mom's first. And the th- the thought behind it, I guess, is they want to get the injured skin off as fast as possible. So they quite literally took scissors and started cutting off all the dead skin right away. So they start taking care of my mom and it's a sound I never want to hear again, honestly. And I knew whatever that they were doing to her was what was going to be done to me. So I laid there, waited for my turn. They came in and they just went hard in the paint on getting all the dead skin off our face, our hands. My lips were really bad. Um, Earlier when I talked about the clothes piece, that's where there was a huge tender mercy if I wouldn't have put on that long sleeve shirt or had pants on, every inch of my exposed skin was burned. And the fact that it stopped right at the cuff of my shirt and it just got quite literally my hand to where my wrist bone is, is a miracle in and of itself. And if my mom hadn't had the layers of clothes that she had on, it would have burned her so much more than it did because it had to go through the layers of clothes. Um, So there was definitely blessings in disguise of the choices that were made before the accident happened. Um, you also shared with me that you didn't know this, but a burn keeps burning beyond the first 24 hours. Correct. Correct. It goes for 72 hours. Once it hits a 72 hour mark, that's essentially the stopping point of as worse as it's going to get. So they come, they cut off your mom's old skin. They cut off your skin. How on earth, how long did they do it for? And how on earth did you get through that? They moved as fast as they could. And they took care of my mom's. They bandaged her all up and they were taking care of mine and they were wheeling her off. And my poor mom, just, I know I could see the pain in her eyes of just wanting to take care of me and her injury. And she couldn't like, I, she was just as injured, if not worse than I was. And so 
they finished with mine. They bandaged me up. And I just really sat there and tried to take it as best as I could. And once they were done, of course, a little bit of humor. Once they were done, the nurse that was doing it, I said, Judith. And she goes, yeah. And I go, tell me honestly, how does my hair look? Is my hair okay? And mind you, my hair is to my bottom. My hair is my one prized possession. <laughs> and she said, no, your hair looks fine. It looks great. Like, don't worry. It's not that bad. Cause it was definitely singed a little. And I said, Oh good. I can have a busted face, but if my hair was gone, I'd be so upset. <laughs> <laughs> so of course, a little bit of humor got us through some of it. And if I, if I didn't crack jokes, I would just sit there and be upset and bothered about whatever circumstance. And instead I try to turn it into something that I could giggle about to make it not hurt so bad. Yeah. Um, also share about when they would have to scrub you. Talk about that a little bit. Okay. So my mom and I were in the same hospital room. We were quite literally beds right across the room from each other. Um, I was in the hospital for six days. My mom was in the hospital for 10 and every day they would have to shower us. And in the shower, they would take a soap of some sort and a rag and they would scrub our skin off every single day on our hands, on our face, on any part of our bodies that were injured. So my mom actually has burns on her knees and in her ankles um, as well as her hands and her face uh, and every day. And it was, it was definitely painful. Um, but at some point they try to wean you off of meds so that you can try to handle it without any, especially at the point that you have to go home and do in-home care on your own without that type of uh, strength of medicine. And I tried my best to go hours and hours and hours between getting pain meds because I didn't, I, I'm very conscious about those things and I didn't want to be reliant on just not wanting to feel anything and it turned into some, you know what I'm saying? Like it to become something that I wasn't able to fight off on my own. So I actually try to go like nine hours between doses of meds starting from the first day to where my mom needed them a little bit more in between just because her injury was a little bit worse than mine. Um, one particular shower incident, they were not going to give me any pain meds. And so I said, okay, <laughs> even though I still had pretty bad injuries. And that was probably the worst pain I felt in any of the accident was that one shower circumstance. I was shaking. It was intolerable. And I literally had to tell the nurse to stop and please give me something. Otherwise, I would not have been able to get gone through it. And what's the idea behind scrubbing off your skin every day? So the purpose of it is to continue to rejuvenate the skin, to bring blood to the surface so that it will start to heal itself faster and more and quicker. Because if you just let you know, essentially skin that's trying to cycle itself out, sit there, you end up with, you know, really bad scars or it doesn't rejuvenate the way that it's supposed to. And it was also a purpose of us trying not to get skin grafts. That was a huge discussion that happened when we first got in. They, they 
pointed at parts of our body and said, you're going to need a skin graft there. You're going to need a skin graft there. And one of the things that the doctors told us was skin grafts were worse than just the burn. You have to have a whole other injury on your body, essentially, to get good skin, to put it on your skin that's bad. But then you're also having to heal the part that they got the skin graft from. So there was a huge blessing of us not having to have any screen graphs, either of us, which was quite literally a miracle. Um, we did have to have surgery where they essentially took a knife and scraped all of our skin of us under anesthesia because it would have been impossible to do that with us uh, just on pain meds. Gosh. Okay, so let's talk about your biological parents find out through social media? I think that's where they found out. Yeah. You think, yeah. And they find out that there has been a a horrible accident and that you're in the hospital and you've been burned. So go ahead and tell that a little bit. I was asleep, uh, probably the second morning of us being in the hospital, I was asleep and Haley, uh, was at the incident when it happened. And so she had been at the hospital basically every day to check in and help us and do all the things. And she was there that particular morning pretty early. And I was asleep. Haley was awake in the chair next to me. And a nurse walked in and said, "Uh, I have somebody on the phone by the name of Victor, and they're asking if they can come visit. And Haley's like, wait a second. I know that name. I know that name. Who is that? And sure enough, it's my biological dad. And Haley didn't know whether to say yes or no. So she told the nurse, like, let Sam make that choice when she wakes up. Uh, That's, you know, somebody specific in her life. So I woke up. Haley let me know that they had come in and asked. And I said, of course, they can come visit. Who am I to keep them from checking on me and to you know, they're my parents. They wanted to make sure everything was okay. And so I told them they could come and they came to the hospital and Haley was actually out in the hallway and recognized them. And she said that there was a sense of frantic in their eyes when they were there. And she said, are you guys Sam's parents? And they said, yeah. And she's like, here, I'll, I'll take you to their room. So she brought them in and they were probably the only people that made me get a little choked up when they walked in, because I remember when they went to say, I'm fine. I'm fine. Don't worry. Like I'm okay. I'm okay. Cause I could tell that it was really hurting them, um, that I was that kind of injured. And so they were there for probably four or five hours that first day. And then they came every day after that to the hospital to check on me. What did that do for you in regards to your relationship with them? I have been feeling for a few years that I have wanted to reconcile our relationship. Obviously, we all have our demons sometimes for forever in our life, but I also feel like sometimes we go through things just for a period of time. And in the period of time where I was really needing family connection was when it wasn't happening at home, which is where I was finding it other places. Um, But I truly believe they did the best that they could do I believe that they are good people. They taught me amazing things. I have amazing skills because of them. And moreover, everything else, I got my grandma from them. Like that was the most pivotal person in my entire life. And so um, I have been having these thoughts for the last little while. 
And it was almost a relief. It was almost a relief that something like that could bring us back together without there being like tension or crazy questions asked or worried about what they might think or if they don't want to have anything to do with me if I do reach out to them like there was a lot of relief when it came to that that piece and in the last six months has there been continued kind of repairing and unification between you guys yeah so they were uh, when I got out of the hospital they actually came to my house to help change out a shower head. They came to help bathe me because as much as I know that I could ask, you know, my closest friends or um, really good family friends, it's a piece of vulnerability to be able to let somebody shower you. And it was easy to allow my biological mother to take care of that part. Um, and so she came every day after work to make sure that I was showered and that, you know, my injuries were bandaged and Haley was the best in-home nurse I could have asked for. She <laughs> helped me bandage my, my wounds every day and I couldn't be more thankful. Um, and we visited, I mean, my, my dad brought us enchiladas to eat and it was like <laughs> good old times truly. And it's been great. And of course there's still a piece of like, I mean, they walked into a hospital room with my adopted mom across the room. And so there's obviously a factor of like, man, like, is this going to be super awkward for them? Is it going to be awkward for my mom? Is it going to be, you know, is there going to be words that were had? Are they upset at them? Because, you know, my, my now adopted parents were a part of that experience of us getting injured, you know, and they were very gracious. Both sides of the party were, very kind towards each other both my bio mom and my bio dad walked up to my mom Nikki and you know said we're sorry that this happened we hope you guys heal we hope the best like we hope you guys have the best recovery all the things so it was actually pretty neat to see those two pieces come together Pam you're amazing and well, your life is amazing Thank you. I appreciate it. A little crazy, but you know, nothing, <laughs> nothing short of a story to tell for me. <laughs> and you're so funny. So you're probably like, come on, Beth, this seriousness has got to end soon. <laughs> no. No, okay. I, mean, I, I want it. What? No, go no ahead. you go ahead. I do like to crack jokes. That's for sure. <laughs> well, um, I want to just ask you my last question. Uh, so I told you before we started recording that it was, how do you personally seek light? So tell me how you personally seek light. There's actually a handful of ways and some may seem a little funny, but it really, I, it makes me feel grounded. Music, music is a huge deal for me. I feel the actual instruments of music very deeply and lyrics equally have to match that. And so I know a song can either put me in a good mood, <laughs> music can either feed my mood, good, better, otherwise, but it is huge. And I find a lot of my connection with people, with myself through music. Um, but a bigger factor probably than that 
and this is ironic because I was actually just sharing this with Haley. I am a lose myself in the service of others. It works for me tenfold. I was taught at a young age to serve people around you, to never go into somebody's home empty-handed, whether that's with something to give them, like a treat or some flowers, or literally wash their dishes and help them with this or help them with that. Um, and my grandma is the biggest example of that. My bio parents probably practice that equally as much. And my adoptive parents will serve everybody before they serve themselves. And that's where I find the most light and feel my best self always is serving others. Well, the great thing is, is you have incredible, it's not just one set of parents. You've got your biological parents and you've got Haley and you've got awesome extended family. Yep. There's Haley. It's true. <laughs> and you and all I mean, could see Haley and Sammy. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. And I, and I truly have to give a shout out to all of my, I mean, I joke and I say, I'm not a one family alien because I just love so many other families and they have served me tenfold. And I hope that I have done my due diligence and served them in return. I mean, I have family in Kansas that I love so much, so dearly. They mean so much to me. Uh, second family that lives down the road from us here, obviously meeting you. I told Haley, I said, Madeline and her mom are like putting on an old shoe. Like I've known them for forever. Like they have always been a part of my life. And I just love, I just love my village. My people are great. Well, you're amazing. And I I'm so grateful. Like nothing is coincidental. And when I met you and Haley, I was like, this is, this is all meant to be. And me meeting you and Haley has been a huge gift for me. So I want to tell you, thanks so much. No, thank you. Thank you for having me on here. I am so grateful that you listened to my latest podcast. Please share these episodes with your family and friends. I look forward to being with you again soon. Have a great day.